Well, good morning, New Heights. Throughout my life, there's been lots of different seasons of growth and development, but one of the greatest uh, was a summer I spent in Destin, Florida at a summer project called Kaleo. And at Kaleo, uh, we would get jobs during the day, and I worked at Bass Pro Shops, where we sold ammo, camo, and underwear. And uh, I worked on the fishing floor, and all day long, I would stock fishing rods. We would sell hundreds a day. So during the day, we would work, and in the evenings, we'd have specific trainings, things on discipleship, trainings on evangelism, and how to share the gospel with people. We talked about relationships and dating. And there was a lot of things I grew and, and developed in that summer, but one of the biggest things that God needed to work on me was my own pride. Uh, I had a lot of spiritual pride. I'm ashamed to admit that I thought I was better than a lot of people. And uh, we were in small groups that summer, and during one day, my small group leader had compassion on me, and he sat down, and he talked about how he thought I was prideful. And I told him he was wrong. That's a true story. Uh, You know, I had a lot to work on that summer. And sometimes, uh, Jesus needs a long time for us to really get something. And this morning, we're going to look at a season where Jesus spent some dedicated time with his disciples because he really wanted them to catch something. We're going to see that over this period of several weeks, probably a couple months, Jesus was trying to get them to see compassion for the nations, compassion for Gentiles and people who weren't like the disciples. And so this morning, we're going to go through three different stories. We're going to talk about a mother, a mute, and the multitudes. And we're going to see how Jesus has compassion on people, even people that we may not care about. Let's pray. God, would you open your word to us this morning? Would we learn from it? God, would we open our hearts and our minds to see what you have for us? And God, would you lead us to be like Jesus, to be full of compassion? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you'll open your Bible to uh, Mark 7, uh, we will start in verse 24 in our first story this morning about a mother. And there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now this woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast out the demon of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's scraps. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. First of all, it's really hard to understand this story if we don't understand the context. Where is Jesus and what's going on? Well, at this point in Mark, Jesus' ministry is growing off the charts. Everywhere he goes, people are coming to see him, to have healings, and it's just growing like crazy. Uh, In fact, in the previous chapter, we get to see that Jesus goes to a desolate place. Why does someone go to a desolate place? To be alone. And what happens? A crowd shows up. So Jesus can't be alone, so he plans this trip. Everywhere he goes, he tries to get people 
he, he wants to have a specific time to disciple these men, the 12 disciples who were with him. And make no mistake, like this is Jesus's priority. You know, there will be a time when he's going to leave and he's going to hand over the keys of his earthly ministry to these men and they're going to lead the church. And so he wants to train them. So he plans this trip everywhere he goes. People are trying to follow him. So he literally leaves the country. He goes north uh, to modern day Lebanon. It's about 50 miles away. It would take days and days to walk there. And he's gone a long time. And I think he went on this trip for two reasons. One, he wants quality time with his disciples. He wants to train them and teach them. But the second thing is he takes them to a Gentile country. He wants them to interact with Gentiles of other nations. And he wants to see how they're going to respond. And we see that in this story. And if I reread Mark 724, he arose to get away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So he gets this Airbnb in another country. He's trying to be alone, and Mark says, hey, it's impossible. People immediately start coming to him in another country. And so he's like a celebrity trying to outrun the paparazzi, like he cannot be hidden. And so verse 25, this woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Who was this mother? She was a Gentile, a Canaanite. She was not from this place, which means she grew up not following the God of Israel. She worshiped pagan idols. And she had a daughter who was being afflicted, targeted by a demon. Man, if you're a parent, you would do anything for your kids. And so I can imagine she probably prayed to every god and goddess and every pagan idol that she could find to heal her daughter, yet nothing would save her. And then what happens? She hears about this rabbi from Israel. Earlier in Mark, it says that Jesus had ministered to people of Tyre and Sidon. So she hears word of this rabbi who can heal people, who can do miracles. And so she wants to seek him out. And then she finds out that he is in her hometown. So she makes a beeline for Jesus. And when she finds him, what does she say? In in Matthew 15, the same story, she says, Have mercy, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And that statement has a lot of weight. Let's unpack what can we learn from this mother. The first thing is she is repentant. She's repentant. She asked the Lord to have mercy. To have mercy, uh, by definition, means to declare your guilt. You know, if you were in a court of law and you asked the court, you say, I throw myself at the mercy of the court. It's saying, I recognize I'm guilty. And so this woman is saying, Jesus, I realize I deserve nothing from you. And you know, the same is true from every person listening to this message right now. Do you feel like God owes you something? Do you feel like you deserve something from God because of something you've done? Man, this woman does not expect anything. And she said, Jesus, have mercy on me. Heal my daughter. And so she's repentant. And secondly, she's rightly um, directed. 
She doesn't worship all these pagan gods. The, the, the people she grew up in worship different idols. Their, their practices and worship was immoral and crass. And she was disenchanted by all these other gods. And what does she say to Jesus? She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. This woman who grew up in a pagan society gives Jesus a messianic title. She says, you're the son of David. You're the Messiah of the Jews. She rightly forgoes her own upbringing and what she knew and worship, and she puts her faith and trust in Jesus. It's rightly directed toward the living God. And the next thing we get to see, not only is she repentant, is it rightly directed, but she is persistent. She does not stop. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And the Matthew account, it says she is constantly asking Jesus for help. At first, Jesus doesn't even reply. He doesn't say anything. And then she won't, she won't stop. And so the disciples say, hey, Jesus, send her away. She's wearing us out. She won't stop. And then Jesus gives uh, but uh, no reply. But all of these things that she says, doesn't, uh, that Jesus says, doesn't stop her. No matter what Jesus says, she keeps asking. She's persistent. She's constantly saying, God, would you help me? And so she's repentant, rightly directed. She's persistent and she's humble. Finally, she comes before Jesus, humble in worship, and she kneels before him saying, Lord, help me. The Greek word says, man, she literally put her face on the ground and humble humility. She says, Jesus, help me. And what does Jesus say? He says what the disciples are thinking. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. In Greek, there's two different words for dogs. Uh, one is a wild, mangy animal, a scary dog. And the other is a little pet, Kynerion. And he calls her that, that little pet dog. And she gets it. She says, I see what you're saying, Jesus. Your disciples, Israel, they're the children. But you know what? She's not only repentant and humble, she's sharp. And she says, yeah, Jesus, but even the dogs get the scraps off the table. And so Jesus, at this moment, everything changes. What does Jesus say? Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The word Jesus uses when she says she has great faith is megas, mega. He says, you have mega faith. And he is so filled with compassion for this woman who is humble, repentant, rightly directed, and persistent. He moves towards compassion towards her. So in this first story, we see in addition to Jesus testing this woman's faith, he's also testing the disciples. What did they say to the Gentiles when they came to face Jesus? In Matthew, it says, they said, Jesus, send her away. What's crazy is they didn't say, hey, Jesus, just heal her already. Heal her kid already. They said, Jesus, send her away. Man, their hearts are hard and they have no compassion. Did you notice who doesn't have compassion? It's the disciples. Who had compassion? Jesus. He's going to continue to challenge this worldview. And he isn't done. And he, we're going to see he moves from this mother to a mute. Starting in verse 31. From there he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee 
and the region of the Decapolis. So they go back to Galilee, but Jesus doesn't take them home. He takes them to the Decapolis. The Decapolis was 10 cities on one side of the lake that were Gentile cities. And the Jews, they lived on one side of the lake, and you did not go to that side of the lake. You didn't talk to Gentiles. You didn't go over there. And so Jesus takes them there on this journey, this discipleship journey. And, but this is the second time he's been there. The first time he was there, he shows up and there's this demon-possessed man full of a legion of demons. Jesus heals him and then says, hey, tell everyone what God has done for you. So when Jesus shows back up this time, the second time, Matthew records that there are people everywhere trying to get Jesus to heal them. What's really cool is we get to see that that demon-possessed man was obedient and faithful. And he told everyone what Jesus had done for him. So when Jesus shows up, the Greek word says they're literally flinging people in front of Jesus to be healed. And there's a lot of stories. Jesus, uh, in Matthew, it says he healed lots of people. But Mark only records this one story. In verse 32, And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue, and he looked up to heaven, he sighed, and he said to him, Epiphathas, that is, be opened. You know, at first glance, it seems confusing. What is Jesus doing to this guy? Normally, he just heals without, with speaking. But this time, you know, this man can't hear. If you can't hear, you can't understand language, and you can't speak. And so Jesus takes him away privately to have an intimate moment. And Jesus shows compassion to this man and it communicates with him with his own little version of Jesus sign language. So what does Jesus do? First, he puts his fingers into that man's ears and he says, man, I know you're not dumb. You just can't hear. And I'm going to open your ears. And then He spits on his hand and he puts it on his tongue. And he says, I'm going to open your mouth so that you can speak. And the third thing he does is he wants this man to know where this healing is coming from. So what does Jesus do? He looks towards heaven. Say, man, this is going to be a healing from God. And then what does he do? He sighs. He gives him this great nonverbal. He's saying, man, I feel you. I have compassion on you. And then what happens? His ears were opened. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. This is an amazing, complete and total miracle. You see, Jesus didn't just give this man the ability to hear and to speak. If you just had that, it would take years of speech therapy and learning to understand language and how to speak. Jesus didn't just give him the ability to hear and speak. He gave him the ability to hear, to process and understand language and then to communicate and verbally express using language. He gave him an ability to speak that he had never had before. It's an amazing miracle. But this is where it gets, I think, kind of crazy. What does Jesus say? In verse 36, Jesus charged him to tell no one. But the more he charged him, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, seeing he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I think this is a little bit unfair, Jesus, okay, if I'm honest. Jesus gives this man the ability to speak, and he's never been able to speak before. And then what does Jesus tell him? 
hey, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I think it's kind of silly. But Jesus did this often. He said, hey, be quiet. Don't tell anyone what, what is done. Why does Jesus do that? I think it's important that Jesus wants people to proclaim things in his own timing, in his own way. And I think Jesus is telling people, hey, this isn't the end of the story. He wants people to wait till the gospel is complete. You know, eventually Jesus would tell people, his disciples, everyone, to tell the whole world, the ends of the earth. And he only did that after his death, burial, and resurrection. I think he wants the whole gospel to be proclaimed. So in the story of the mute man, did you see who didn't have compassion? It was the disciples. You don't even hear them in the story. Who does have compassion? Jesus. And if you're deaf and mute, you're one of the most marginalized people in society. And Jesus pursues the marginalized and shows them compassion. And when I think about that, pursuing marginalized people, I think of a New Heights family. I think of Jed and Nellie Beal. Several years ago, Jed and Nellie and some people in their community group and some other friends of theirs all started praying. And they felt at the same time, you know, all we do is hang around with people like us, people who go to church, who are like us. And they said, you know what? We need an intersection where we can meet the marginalized and show them compassion. So they started a ministry called Intersection. And every Thursday night, they started getting volunteers, asking people for donations, and they started feeding the homeless in Northwest Arkansas. And since 2014, they have faithfully been serving meals to the homeless every Thursday night. And I asked Nellie, man, what are some of the things you've seen during this time? And she said, one of the things that's really exciting to me is any Thursday night I can look around and I can see people from at least eight different churches represented there helping and serving people. She says, as we've done this uh, consistently, we've been able to meet and become friends. She said, when we started this thing, we wanted people to know and feel like they were coming to a meal in our own home. So we would cook them home-cooked meals. And over time, we got to know people's names. We got to call them by their very own names. They became our friends. They were able to pray with people. And it seems a lot of really great things happen. But you know, so far, like many times, most of us just choose to overlook that. And it makes me think, am I like the disciples or am I like Jesus? You know, so far we see Jesus show compassion on this mother. We see him show compassion on this mute man, healing him of his disabilities. And now we're going to see Jesus... Turn to the multitudes. So starting in chapter 8, let's read about the healing, uh, uh, the feeding of the 4,000. And in those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can we feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and set them before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. They were all ate and satisfied. 
And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And then he sent them away and immediately got into a boat with his disciples. And he went to the district of Dalmanutha. And that's the Jewish side of the lake. You know, earlier, several weeks ago in the book of Mark, we got to hear about Jesus feeding the 5,000. That was at a different time in a different place. And what I just read was the feeding of the 4,000. Let's look at the differences between these two feedings. Let's go back and explain the 5,000, okay? When Jesus was there doing ministry, how long was it before someone noticed that there was a food problem? He was doing ministry all day, and it was late afternoon, and people were hungry. And in the 5,000, who was aware of the lack of food? Who noticed the suffering? It was the disciples. The disciples said, send them away before nightfall so they can find something to eat. Who were the people who were hungry? It was the Jews. There on the Jewish side of the lake. Jesus feeds them all. They were all filled and satisfied. And they had 12 baskets left over. The Greek word there is like a lunchbox. They had 12 little baskets full of food. So let's contrast this with what we just read. How long had Jesus been doing ministry before someone noticed a problem? Three days. Have you ever not eaten for three days? After three hours, I start to notice, okay? And it had been three days. Do you know what this shows us? Not only are these people physically hungry, but they were so spiritually hungry, they were willing to forego food to listen to Jesus. Who was suffering at this time? Who was starving? It was the Gentiles. And did the disciples speak up? No. They have no compassion. They still don't see it. They don't get it. Who notices the suffering? Jesus. Three days go by and he says, I have compassion. Did you catch that? Jesus who is the God of the universe, who is walking on this planet, says the words out loud, I have compassion. In this story, this is the only time we see this in the Gospels. Jesus saying, first person, I have compassion on people. Just think about that, man. I don't deserve it. I don't understand it. But Jesus feels it. And he has compassion on the crowds. How sweet are those words? You will not find that in any other world religion. No other place does God have compassion on humanity, yet we serve a personal God who takes personal compassion on personal people. The Greek word that Jesus uses there means like your inner organs, your guts. And it's like Jesus is saying, man, I ache in my bones for these people. Jesus mentions, man, some of them are from so far away, they're going to collapse on their way home. And you would expect the disciples to say, well, hmm, Jesus, you know, just a few weeks ago across the lake, you fed 5,000 people. Why don't you just feed these people? I mean, they don't even get it. They don't even speak up. It doesn't even cross their minds. I would expect scripture here to say, then Jesus slapped all 12 guys in the face and said, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? But no, how does Jesus actually respond? What do you have to eat? What can you give them? And he gets their bread and he gets their fish and he feeds them all till they're satisfied. I think it's kind of funny to think about that Jesus created already dead and cooked fish. Isn't that kind of funny? He feeds them all and we get to see that there are seven 
baskets left over. And this isn't a lunchbox basket. This is a huge basket, completely full with bread and fish. Jesus, who is God, knew how much it would take to satisfy people who hadn't eaten in three days. He knew how much they needed. So why did he give them leftovers? It's because Jesus was being intentional. If you read details in scripture, it's probably important. And so why do we see the difference in these baskets? Well, with the 5,000, we get to see that there are 12 baskets full. What does the number 12 mean in scripture? 12 usually, almost always, represents Israel. There are 12 tribes. And when you hear 12, it's talking about Israel. And so Jesus is enough to satisfy all of Israel. And at the feeding of the 4,000, what's left over? Seven giant baskets. And I think Jesus is saying, seven always means in scripture, completion, perfection. Jesus is saying, I am enough to satisfy all of the nations, all of the Gentiles around the world, and I'm going to complete it. We're going to reach all the nations of the earth. Did you notice in this story who didn't have compassion? The disciples. Who did have compassion? Jesus. This morning, we went through three stories. The Syrophoenician mother, a deaf mute, and the 4,000. In the first story, who didn't have compassion? Jesus. Jesus was literally playing into his disciples' hands. If you want to look into the world of compassion, a lack of compassion, this is what it looks like. Jesus says, you guys treat this woman like a dog. I'm just going to say what you're thinking. Yet he offers compassion when they said, send her away. In the second story, the deaf mute man. I mean, if you're dead, Deaf and mute, you cannot hear, you cannot communicate, you're cut off from society. And Jesus moves to the most marginalized and he gives that man humanity and he communicates with him. And the disciples didn't even notice. And in the third story, we move from these two individuals to the multitudes. And Jesus notices the, the need and the hunger and the compassions. Uh, the disciples don't even see it. Did you notice the very people who showed the least amount of compassion were those who were closest to Jesus. Did you see that those who showed the least amount of compassion were those who were closest to Jesus? You know, right now, this world is hurting. We're in a pandemic, COVID-19, people are sick. You see riots on the news. People are fearful. Right now, might be the most important time that you need to reach out to somebody. Politics aside, there's injustice in the world. And are you going to engage it? Or are you going to avoid it and ignore it? When I think of these passages, I have to ask myself, am I missing it? Do I have the mindset of the disciples? Do I have the mindset of Jesus? You know, just yesterday, a friend of mine called me up on the phone. He said, hey, I have to confess something to you. I'm like, okay. So he told me this story. He went out shopping with his kids. And uh, he's like, I usually don't buy clothes, but I really needed some. And so I went to the store. I was going to get a couple pair of pants. And uh, a guy came up to me who worked there who knew me. And he said, hey, what are you doing here? And they started chatting. And he says, hey, why don't I give you uh, the employee discount? And he said, 
what, can you do that? And he goes, oh yeah, I can give it to whoever I want. Why don't I give you the employee discount? It's half off. And so my friend was like, that's awesome. So he got some more clothes and he got a gift for his wife and he went to check out and he saved hundreds of dollars. And so he was pretty excited and he left and as he gets in his car with his kids, he's driving away, he says, oh my gosh, we need gas. So he goes into the gas station and as he opens the door and gets out, a woman immediately approaches him and says, hey, I'm really sorry. I don't ever do this, but um, I left my credit card at home. I don't carry cash and I don't have any money for gas. Can I just borrow $2 for gas? And my friend suddenly turns into the compassion inspector. And he starts looking at this woman. He starts grilling her. Why don't you carry cash? How'd you run out of gas? Where, why don't you have money to do this? And he starts like asking her and grilling her all these questions. He becomes a skeptic. And he's investigating. Are you worthy of my compassion? And this woman says, man, I'm not trying to scam you. But yet he still asks questions. And she says, okay, fine. I'll just ask someone else. And as she walks away, my friend turned. And as he's walking back to his car, two things happen. He said, I look up and I see my kids all looking at me through the windows of the car. And you think, man, what am I showing my kids? And then he said, I felt God's Holy Spirit say in me, what did I just do for you? I just saved you hundreds of dollars and you can't spare a few dollars for this woman. And it just made me think, man, I love receiving compassion from God. And many times I have problems returning it. But you see, the reality is this, that you and I are the conduits of compassion. God wants to use us to show his love to the world. And so I want to ask you right now, who are the people you're overlooking in your life? In your workplace, in your neighborhood, are there people that you've just forgotten, that you don't even see them, and you don't see that they need the compassion of Jesus? God wants to use us in an incredible way. And so this morning, I just want to pray, God, would you open our eyes and would you open our ears so that we can hear and see those around us who need the compassion of Jesus. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that leads us to be more like Jesus. Father, Jesus was the lamb of God who came to weigh the take take away the sins of the world. And God, we're so thankful for your compassion towards us, that you showed us a compassionate Lord who is personal, who loves us, who hears us in our suffering and wants to help us. God, would you forgive us when we fail to do that towards others? God, would you lead us into being your conduits of compassion to show your love for those around us and even those to the ends of the earth? God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.